Hey, good morning. Good morning, New Post Church. How is everyone today? All right, good, you're out there. Who's seen The Chosen? Who's up to, like, how many seasons are they up to now? Is it three? They have three? So we're on season two. So if you've watched all of them, don't, don't ruin the story for me. I'm reading the book. I'm in the book every day. So don't ruin the story. So um, my name's John Rogers, so I'm not Pastor Brandon. I'm, I'm actually unpaid staff. So what's funny is, is when our paid staff guy <laughs> forgets the announcements and what, I don't feel so bad now when I have to do it. He just took so much pressure off of me when I do the, the, the welcome and hosting of the service. I feel so much better about the job that I do <laughs> when I do it. So, um, though I think he doesn't, he's not as uh, kind to me when, when I mess up. So, um, <laughs> He's like, how do you think it went? But okay, this, I could drag on forever. So whenever you're asked, how do you think you did? You just like, okay, I sucked. So let's, let's just move on. Hey, I love God, I love people, and I'm making a difference, right? So, uh, <laughs> so I wanna honor Pastor Brandon and just thank him for what he's doing for New Post Church and for us. So I, I mean, I love him. He's you know, a few years younger than me, but it's so cool because this young guy that I look up to and just, and just love him and Lee and their, and their family. It was the, the we do every, every year in January, we do 21 days prayer and fasting. A year or so last year, 2021, God spoke to me during that fast and it was definitely him because he said, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Because I've been serving in church, I've been leading different ministries for probably about 15 years now. When we lived in Florida, I was really connected into my church there. I was unpaid staff there as well. But God said, what are you waiting for? And that meant, when are you actually going to do the schooling that requires you to get as, as a licensed pastor? So I met Pastor Brandon and I went and had lunch a little bit after the, the fast that year. And I told him that story. And by the it felt like by the time I got home from lunch, he's already getting the ball rolling. He's already putting things in motion. And then being a part of our, being the lay leader for our church, I, go to get, I get to go to some additional business meetings for the church in, in La Plata. And that very next meeting, here we are partnering with Southern Wesleyan University. So I am enrolled in the FLEX program at Southern Wesleyan University, and I only have two classes left. So... <laughs> By this time next year, I'm just claiming I'll, I'll be a, a licensed pastor, which I guess will make me official. So just, but just remember this morning, I'm unpaid staff. So my, my, my wife, Debbie, and I, we moved here uh, just a little over four years ago and discovered this church that God brought us to and fell in love with the church and, and the people and made great connections here. And Debbie, who is my best friend, my, my wife, my bride. She serves in the, in the cafe. We also serve on the, the leadership team here at New Post, which Pastor Brandon, I guess he loved the reruns of the A-team with Mr. T, because that's what we're called. We're called the A-team. So I'm hoping to bring my A-game today. So I've noticed that a lot of the slides were a little different. During the offering, they had the Pleasant Grove Field <laughs> scoreboard on the screen, and now we don't have anything on the screen, but that's okay. So who has heard 
of the mercy rule? Show of hands. Few people, I see a few hands. Okay, probably most of us. If you've been involved at all in Little League sports. So the mercy rule comes into play. There it is, 53 to nothing. Although Debbie pointed out, because she's in finance, the numbers don't add up. Probably because you can't put 10s or 17s in there. It's 53 to nothing. So the mercy rule comes in. So anybody that's, that's played in Little League sports or had your kids play in Little League sports, more than likely there's been a game or two, or maybe for some of us a full season, that the, the mercy rule came in to play. And that's when the other team is just so much better. They're blowing you out. Uh, it just show the other teams, show the other players and the coaches, and I think more, more importantly, the family members, show them a little mercy and get that game over with so we can move on and go home. They can eat orange slices and, and drink their juice boxes. So, um, so doing some research on the mercy rule, I came across a story that I thought was pretty interesting and wanted to share this with you. So the, the largest or the biggest blowout in sports history was a football game played in 1916. Georgia Tech beat Cumberland College 222 to nothing. There was no mercy rule back then. <laughs> and apparently this blowout was payback because Cumberland College beat Georgia Tech in baseball 22 to nothing earlier that year. So I guess Georgia Tech wanted to put another two up there. You can see the scoreboard doesn't even fit. They had to kind of piece the, the two. So over 100 years ago. And get this, the head coach of Georgia Tech, John Heisman. Does that name sound familiar? So for you college football fans, that's who the Heisman Trophy was named after. So John Heisman, great college football player, great coach, but not great at showing mercy. And then I came across this next slide of Pastor Brandon before an Ohio State. <laughs> That's Pastor Brandon before an Ohio State football game. The mercy rule is no mercy. So, all right, it's enough fun and games. I'm glad that got bigger laughs than I thought. So when you're doing this stuff in your own, in your own office or your, your bathroom or practicing this, nobody talks back or laughs to you, so I appreciate the energy. Keep it coming. So um, remember, I'm unpaid staff. So, all right. So we're in this series called The Beatitudes. You can get Pastor Brandon's way more jacked than the guy from 300. So, um, and he didn't tell me to say that. Um, yep, okay. So we're in this series called The Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, where we're learning about what we as Christians ought to be. So Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is for us, teaches us how we should live, and the attitudes we should distinguish, that, that, the attitudes that distinguishes us from the world. The word blessed means to be happy or to be approved. Those who walk in these attitudes are to be blessed and will be blessed. My prayer for the church, the big C church, is that we're, we lift, we're lifted out of those lukewarm uh, living and lukewarm attitudes, that we relentlessly pursue Jesus, blessing others and being blessed in return. Previous weeks, Pastor Brandon uh, preached on in Matthew 5, 
the Beatitudes start in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then the next week, he, we learned that blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the next week was blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Last week, Pastor Megan did an awesome job, and she preached on blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Today we're going to dig into the next beatitude about mercy, which I've titled, oh, and my name's on it, which I've titled Mercy, Mercy Rules with Grace. Before we do, I need to pray, y'all. <laughs> Let we pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, we thank you for this, this day and this time to be in church, Lord. I, I pray that this word that you put on my heart to share with the church is of you, Lord. I pray that there's less of me in this message and more of you, Jesus. So I just thank you for the, the opportunity to, to share uh, your word to your church, Lord. I pray that it speaks to everyone here this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so my son Jason, he played football in high school. He, he was on the varsity team all four years. When he was a freshman, their team was really bad. They were just, they were really bad. I remember, I remember the first time when he was a freshman, the first time I saw his team without their pads on, and I turned to, to my son, I said, Jason, is this your football team? And he replied, yes. And I was like, okay, now that explains a lot. Because these kids were small. They looked more like a cross-country team than they did a football team. The only difference was they were slow, too. So <laughs> small and slow does not bode well for a football team. So us parents, we would, we would watch the first half, just hoping for the second half to get here so the clock would continuously run and would, would end our misery. And we were more concerned about injuries with these small, slow kids. We were more concerned that everybody got up after every play and was able to get out of the, the season, if you will, healthy. Um, but I'll give, I'll give those kids credit, because they were, they were young, they were a lot of freshmen. Here's why I give them credit. They stuck it out. They fought hard. They, were, they listened to their coaches. And by their junior year, they played for their conference championship. In the, their senior year, they went back and played in the championship game again. So they went their first year receiving the mercy rule to their last two years in high school, showing mercy to others. So I definitely give those kids a lot of credit there. And before we get into the scripture and, and the text, I want you to think about someone in your life that has hurt you. Someone that said things about you that has harmed you emotionally and maybe even physically. Someone that when you think of them, you start to squirm on the inside, the acids in your stomach begin to churn, and you just get emotionally and physically upset. Okay, now, I want you to think of your past behaviors. Have you ever said or did something to somebody that hurt them 
And if I were to ask them to think about that person, would they think about you? Would they get those same feelings about you? So these uncomfortable feelings don't have to stay with you. The beatitude we're about to get into will help you, but only if you allow it to. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful. This attitude addresses those who show mercy. It speaks to those who have already received mercy. It is mercy to be emptied of your pride and brought to poverty of spirit. It is mercy to be brought to mourning over your spiritual condition. It is mercy to receive the grace of meekness and to become gentle. It is mercy to be made hungry and thirsty after righteousness. Therefore, the one who is expected to show mercy is one who has already received mercy. That's us. That's us as Christians, as believers in Jesus. The merciful one, which is us, it's how we Christians should act that we will show it to to those who are weaker and poorer. We'll always look, we'll always look for those who weep and mourn. The merciful one will be forgiving to others and always look to restore broken relationships. The merciful one will be forgiving to the character of other people and choose to think the best of them whenever possible and not expect too much from others. The merciful one will be compassionate to those who are outwardly sinful and have a care for the souls of all people. If you desire to obtain mercy and want mercy from others, especially from God, then you should be merciful to others. Sounds a little like the golden rule, doesn't it? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. So we're going to get into the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. But before we do, I want to set up the relationship between the Jewish people, you can go to the next slide, Jewish people and the Samaritans. For hundreds of years, the, the Jews and the people of Samaria, they, they'd been enemies. They did not agree about uh, where you should worship God. The Jews went to Jerusalem and worshiped in the temple where the Samaritans made another place on a mountain in Samaria. Most Jews would not even travel through Samaria. So if you can see, if you look at Galilee, and uh, Jesus grew up in Nazareth, if you look, it's a, there's a straight line that would take you down to Jerusalem. They would travel around. So it's probably, I actually looked up on GPS how long would it take to, to walk from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And it was like 24, 25 hours. So, but you're not walking that in one stop. So just let's break it up in eight hour days, maybe, or if you had old people or young, young folks. Um, so think about it, they're walking around. There's another two, maybe three days of travel. Um, so you get this feeling that these two groups of people despised each other, they held grudges against each other and really wish the other group would disappear off the face of the earth. 
So the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. So remember, this is, this is a Jewish man talking to Jesus. Okay, you did change it. We had different versions. It was going to read a little different. So, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So I always crack up when somebody, especially we're reading it in the Bible, when somebody tries to test Jesus. So I personally know a, a few lawyers that I'm friends with, and, and they're good, humble people. But I know several lawyers that may not be quite so humble, and many of them think they know more than God. They think they can test God. They think they can, they can trip him up and confuse Jesus as to what the truth is. But this is Jesus. Or the way Pastor Brandon would say, this is Jesus, my man. It's Jesus, my man. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. But okay, go ahead. Test away. Let's see how that works for you. Hey, don't raise your hand on this one, but how many of us test God? How many of us test God probably every day? So back to the parable of the Good Samaritan, verse 26. Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so the lawyer knew his stuff. He was book smart. He had the knowledge. But I tell you, it's one thing to know about God and his word, but it's way better to know God and have a personal relationship with him. Thank you. I heard that back there. This verse also makes me think about our mission at New Post Church, that we're a church that loves God, loves people, and we make a difference. So on to verse 28. And, and, and this is Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? The lawyer, desiring to justify himself, presses the issue of who is my neighbor. So I tell you, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably do the same thing. Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? That person you know going through something tough and is hurting? No, that's not my neighbor. But let's see what Jesus has to say in verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. A priest. A priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him passed by on the other side. So these two religious leaders passed by on the other side. 
a priest and a Levite man, both knowledgeable about who God is, but there's no evidence of God in their actions. In life, there's going to be people that are beater-uppers, and there's also going to be the passer-uppers. Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The Samaritan had compassion and stopped. So that would be like if a Christian, not us, not, not a member of New Post Church, but that would be like if a Christian saw somebody that was beat down, stripped, robbed, and left for half dead, but yet crossed the street, passed by on the other side, and a non-Christian stopped and showed compassion on the individual to help save the person's life. So what does the Samaritan man do next? Verse 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. So this Samaritan man picked up the man he didn't know, tended to him, bound up his wounds, cared for this man. So back in this day, wine and oil had been, had been used to cleanse and salve wounds. This Samaritan used what he literally had to save the man's life. This parable is one of a moral obligation to heal those in bodily need as a salve of the soul as well as bodily wounds. It is also a correction that good thoughts are not enough. They must be accompanied by good deeds. That's the example this man set. Heck, he even paid for the man's stay and said if you spend more money on him, that he'll repay him. The Samaritan man picked up the hurting man and made a difference in his life. Jesus asks in the next verse, in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. Who do you think it was? The Samaritan? Two religious dudes? Or the Samaritan? The Samaritan, the, the lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So in life, there are going to be the beater-uppers and the passer-uppers there's also picker-uppers. Mercy always picks up. Jesus says, blessed is he who is a picker-upper. Blessed is he who sees someone hurting and in need and picks them up. Mercy not only picks up, but mercy does not point out shortcomings. And like love, mercy does not keep a record of wrongs. Is there someone in your life, like the one I had you thought of, earlier, that you need to rip those records of wrongs that they did against you and show mercy and forgive, well, you'll never be more like God but when you act in mercy and forgiveness. Recently, I was talking to a friend of mine 
who was sharing a story about a relationship he had with a family member. It was always contentious. There was always some kind of strife or friction and offense in that relationship. And he said something that was very fitting for this message. He said that he told his loved one that he forgave her so he could move on with his life. He recognized that unforgiveness was or would hold him back from experiencing all God desired for his life. So again, let me ask you, is there someone in your life that you need to forgive so you can move on with your life? Blessed are the merciful. The greatest breakthrough you will ever have is when you allow the Holy Spirit to work through you to rip those records of wrong, those records of wrongs that somebody has done to you. My question and challenge for you, are you ready to move forward with your life and be all that God is calling you to be? If you are, now is the time to rip that offense someone has done against you. Show mercy and forgive because blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. This week, pick someone up Rip their records of wrongs. Refuse to point out their shortcomings. And love God, love people, and make a difference. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for you? Did I hear, yeah, it's a whisper. Still there, I didn't, nobody left, right? Or maybe, all right, let me pray.